Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, as we start a message this morning, it will finish up in a couple of weeks. But Acts chapter 3, once you found the 19th verse of Acts chapter 3, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. And let's see what God's Word has to say to us this morning. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 19, it reads like this. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and from those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your father, saying to Abraham... And in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away uh, every one of you from your iniquities. Father, this morning you have truly blessed our hearts as these children sung about the roaring lion, that lion of Judah, your son Jesus Christ. And now as we have read your word and, and heard the prophetic words about your son Jesus and We just ask, Father, that you take those words and sink them deep into our heart. At this very moment, I ask that you make very little of me and very much of you, that we may hear your sweet voice in our presence this morning. This we pray in the name of your precious Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you know, if you've been with us here in the book of Acts, Peter's been preaching to the Jews in the portico or the porch of Solomon. They've gathered there because God has performed this miracle in the healing of the lame man at the gate uh, leading into the temple, the gate called Beautiful. Uh, Peter uh, has preached to them the fact that this Jesus whom they have killed is the Messiah that they've long waited for. So he stood before this congregation and and he's told them, he said, this Messiah that you so have, have longed for for generations, this Messiah was this Jesus that you hung upon a cross. And how did he prove this to them? He did this by using these messianic terms, these messianic names to show uh, who this Jesus was and that he was the Messiah. If you remember, he went through those list of messianic terms. There were six of those that we went through in several messages. Peter then comes to the conclusion, this conclusion of his his sermon here. And the the first thing that he tells them that they must do in response, the thing that they must do in the response to understanding that Jesus is the Messiah, the very first thing that must happen in their life is they must repent. If you remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago. He gave them really five things. There's there's five things that that God uses in our lives. He was using in their lives that help us to know that there's a need for repentance. If you remember the very first thing that that we looked at was the fact this knowledge about himself. Uh, Through the miracles that they've seen, they understood there was a God. Through the creation around them, they understood that there was a God. Through his spoken word, and in our case, the word, the Bible that we hold in our hand, we understand that there is this God. And we understand we don't measure up to, to what the standard is of this God. And therefore, we must repent. 
But not only was there this knowledge of himself, of who God is, there was also this sorrow, this sorrow over our sin. Make no mistake, sorrow over sin is not repentance, but sorrow over sin leads to repentance. That's why the Bible says, uh, whenever Paul's writing to the church, he says, I am so glad that you sorrowed unto godly repentance. In other words, that sin in their life so sorrowed them that they had sinned against a holy God that it led them to their knees to ask for forgiveness and repent before a holy God. God. So not only did he have the knowledge, not only did we have the sorrow, but also his goodness. His goodness. Who would say that God's good? All of us. Amen. God is so good to us. So good to us. You can walk outside on a beautiful morning like this and just see God's goodness all around you. The Bible, in fact, says that God rains down his goodness on both the just and the unjust. Everyone gets to see God's goodness around them in their life. So, so just His goodness should lead us to repent uh, of our sins against a God that is so good and gracious to us. But then there was that fourth thing, the chastisement for our sin. I told you when we came to that one, it seems like I always make it through the first three before I realize and somehow land at the fourth. <laughs> That'd probably be a good place for an amen for some of you. But you, you wind up there, this chastisement for your sin. There's things that you do that bring about these consequences. These consequences weigh so heavy upon your life that you realize the sin that you have committed was not worth it. You realize that the sin that you have committed has broken your fellowship with a, a holy God and it drives you to the point of repentance the Bible says that God uh, chastises all those that he loves. And we know who God loves, for he tells us that he sent his only begotten son for all of those whom he loves. So the sin in our life sometimes brings this chastisement. But, but realize the chastisement is not brought upon you for punishment alone. That's, that's not the purpose. Chastisement is brought upon you to drive you to repentance. For God seeks that all would repent and, and be saved. Then the last thing, the last thing that he pointed out to them was this coming judgment. The fact that no matter how you spin it, no matter how many people stand in a pulpit or write in a paper or speak on the news about the fact that God is love, and yes, he is, it can never be uh, done away with the fact that the backside of the coin of love is the coin of justice. The coin of justice. God said that if you sin against him, it leads unto death and you will be judged for that. And there's no way he could love you if he didn't also uh, justify himself and, and justify the sin in your life by judgment upon that sin. So there is one day coming this, this judgment. He tells us that one day there'll be a judgment for the sin in our lives. One day you'll stand before him guilty of sin for all that you've done. Unless there has been a day of repentance, this change of mind, this change of heart about your sin and about who Jesus is, if, if that doesn't happen in your life, one day you will stand before him in judgment. And those are the things that pointed us towards this repentance. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is this change of, of mind. It's a change of mind about your sin, and it's a change of mind about who Jesus is. It's a change of mind about who Jesus is. It's turning in a different direction from where you've been going. Think about those Jews that stood there in the portico they thought this Jesus was just another prophet. They thought this Jesus was just another good teacher. But for them, this repentance was not only a, a recognizing of this sin in their life and a turning away, but it was a recognizing of who this Jesus is and turning towards him. And then for Jews and, and, and for us, those that were standing before uh, Peter that day, as well as us that sit in here this morning and hear the word of God, the direction that we all like to travel, the direction that we like to go is a direction called self-righteousness. Let's face it, we think that there is a way unto God that we can do by ourselves. 
That's what got the Jews in trouble. That's what gets us in trouble. We try to do more good than bad, hoping the scale weighs out at the end of the day. (laughs) We try to keep all the rules. We try to do what we think God would have us to do, that he would be happy with us. (laughs) It's, It's not about what you do. It's about who did it. It's not about the fact that that you come to church or or you keep all the rules or you do those things. It's about knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The only thing that will please God is by you stepping into the light of Jesus Christ in your life. That's where the pleasing of God starts. And repentance is realizing that we cannot do it ourselves. Only God can do it. Only God can make us righteous. And He can only do that through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And God has done that. Through the death, through the burial, and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. He has put that out there. And what Peter is telling those Jews, what Peter's saying to those Jews that are, are standing before him, and as we study this passage this morning, he's saying to us, is we must, we must change our mind about what sin is, and we must change how we can be forgiven of that sin in our minds. It's not about working off our debt. You see, a change of mind about those things leads Peter to this second point in verse 19. The first point, he said, repent. And he calls them to repentance because of the sin in their life against the holy God. He says, change your mind. Change your mind about what that sin is. Change your mind about who this Jesus is. And then he says these words in verse 19. He says, be converted. Be converted. Conversion is the full circle of what it means to be saved. It's a full circle of what it means to be saved. If you can picture conversion as a circle, maybe you have a piece of paper in front of you and a pen this morning, and and you want to draw this down so it solidifies in your mind. But if you'll draw a circle on your piece of paper and call that, that circle is going to be conversion. And then you draw a line right down the center of that circle. You make two equal halves, two equal halves in this circle. And in those two halves, write these words. On one side, write faith. In the other half of the circle, write repentance. Faith is what you must have in Jesus Christ to have conversion. And repentance to sin is is what you must do to have conversion. Those two things wrapped together make up this conversion that he's speaking about. Faith in Jesus Christ and the repentance of the sin in your life. But conversion, he also says, by the way, he words it here, is not something that you do find that very interesting so many people so many people try to convert themselves when you talk to someone when you talk to someone that comes from a maybe a different faith background and and decides to become a christian like for instance you may speak with a a devout catholic that has decided they want to become a christian instead of of being in a catholic faith they'll they'll tell you i converted from the the catholic faith or maybe Maybe you're speaking to a Muslim person. If I have been lately, I've got one that's been heavy on my heart. I've been spending time with him. And matter of fact, pray for them because the day starts their Ramadan uh, today, which is a very interesting thing. Maybe we'll talk about some other time. But uh, I've been speaking to him. And, and it, it, Lord willing, if he, if he comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I hope he never utters the words, uh, I've converted from the Muslim faith. Because that's the wrong perspective about what it means to convert. Peter makes it clear that conversion is not something we actively do. It is something that is passively done to us. How do we know this? Look at the words he uses in verse 19. He says, be converted. Be. 
No words in the Bible by accident. No little words just written in to fill space on paper. He used this word be. The word be, if you look up, if you remember your English training from back in high school, probably maybe college if you be there, if you've been there, be is an imperative preposition. An imperative preposition. An imperative preposition is much like a command. It is much like a command. It's something that must be done. An imperative preposition. That converted there, that converted word that is used is an aorist term. It is this aorist term, which means it is something that is very simple. How many of you would raise your hand and say conversion to the Christian faith is something that is very simple? It is. It is. Isn't that what Jesus said? Even the smallest of children can understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and come to know Him as their Lord and Savior. What makes conversion complicated for us? Us. That's what makes conversion complicated, is the us. We try to find ways to, to make it complicated, things we must do, things, things that we... No, Jesus said that the faith in Him, repentance of sin... Believing that he died upon a cross for your sins was raised that you might have eternal life leads unto salvation. It, it's simple. And this term that's used here, be converted, is this, this imperative preposition, an heiress term that means something is going to happen. Something is going to happen in the future. When you look at the Greek word that's actually used there, epistrepho is the word that's actually used as translated be converted. Epistrepho is talking about this very simple action that happens in the very near future. A simple action that happens in the near future. It might be best understood if you uh, make notes in your Bible, you might want to write this next to it. I wrote it in mine. Instead of it saying be converted, it says be being converted. Be being converted. It lets you know there is an outside force that is working on the conversion in your life. In light of what you understand about sin in your life, in light of what you understand about this Jesus because of repentance, because of repentance of your sin, because of repentance and not believing in Jesus Christ, in light of what you now know, let it convert you. Let it change you into something that is different. In other words, it's not just the the knowledge of the fact that you are a sinner. It's not just the knowledge of the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. It's the knowledge that you have sinned against a holy God and a grievous act against a holy God, but that He loved you so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die upon a cross for your sins to pay the penalty that you created that Jesus did not create. It's understanding that this sin is not something petty in the eyes of God. It is unto death. And it is unto death of His only begotten Son on your behalf. You see, that makes a conversion in your life. Let the gospel go about a radical transformation in your life. You should be different. Let the correct response, the correct reaction to true repentance be a radical transformation in your life. How many of us know individuals who say they're Christians, but you look at their life and you can't tell it? We see it all the time. We see it in the Christian music industry. My heart was broken this week as I read some things about uh, an organization that's, that's used very highly in a lot of our churches uh, for their music. It's a group called Hillsong. If you happen to like Hillsong, throw tomatoes at me. That would be really good. Go dig up what they do as a church, and I think you'll burn your albums. It's probably one of the greatest producers of Christian music in the contemporary world today. And they right now uh, are fighting for the fact that they believe that gay 
men and women can be pastors in churches. They do same-sex marriage. They do not believe in the Trinity. Yet we'll stand on the stage and we'll play their music as if it's unto a holy God when they don't even believe in the same God that we believe in. <laughs> How many of us know those that say they're Christian, yet they don't follow the Word of God and it makes no difference in their life? <laughs> How many of us see a person in church on Sunday that looks much different on Monday when we see them in the world? <laughs> How many of us come to church with our Christian face on? We get up in the morning, we look in the mirror, we make sure our makeup's in place, we make sure our suit's right, we make sure our Bible looks as if it's been used all week, and we show up with a bright and smiling face because we want to go worship God. On, on Sunday morning, we show up with that mask on, but the minute that we step out of the door and get into the car and we head back into the world, we take it off and we put on our worldly mask. And the world around us has no idea that we spend an hour, maybe an hour and a half, if I'm preaching, sitting underneath a preacher on Sunday morning because it doesn't make a difference in our life on Monday morning. You see, that's a sign of a person who has no repentance in their life. Let's just put it out there. A person who can look one way in church on Sunday and a different way in the world on Monday doesn't know what repentance is. Has no clue what repentance is. They may know who God is. They may know who Jesus is. But let me give you a newsflash. So does Satan. And Satan has no idea what repentance is. You see, but that knowledge has never led them to a place of true repentance in their life that has caused a conversion that has been signified by a transformed life. Sadly, sadly today our churches are full of so-called Christians just like that. Our churches are full. This morning our pews are filled with people who claim the name of Jesus Christ and on Monday morning will live a very different life. Our churches are full of people who say they've been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, yet they won't witness to their neighbor because they're of a different ethnicity, they're of a different social standing. There may be a gay person next door. And they won't even tell them about Jesus. Yet they'll sit in church on Sunday morning and say, I love God with all of my heart. That's the sign of a life that does not know repentance. So with the religious organizations of Peter's time, those who stood before him there in that portico were of the same mindset. They were of the same mindset. How do we know that? They were all about keeping the law. They were all about keeping the law. Matter of fact, I was just talking with someone on Wednesday night. He said they had the opportunity to hear a Jewish gentleman talk about the difference life is, is not as a Christian from what it was when, when he was a Jew. And I believe he part of the, the, uh, the, the story that he told, part of the history that he told was about the fact that he was trying to, to make sure that he, he didn't break the 365 don'ts and kept the 250 do's. If you want to put math to that, that's over 300 laws, 300 rules that they were trying to keep as these Jews to make sure they could stand before God in self-righteousness. See, they, they were trying to make sure they checked off the right boxes. <laughs> I'm there on Sunday morning. I make it most Wednesday nights. If we have a fellowship, I gather together for it. I make sure I'm in Sunday school. I raise my hand when they ask if I read my Bible, even if it was only one day during the week. I make sure that if there's a need, I give to it. I'm, I'm checking off those do's and don'ts. It's no different than the group that stood before Peter in the portico. Their, their whole religious scheme was, what can I do to be right before 
a holy God. They were all about being holier than thou. <laughs> Remember the, the two that showed up at the temple to pray. <laughs> One showed up and was just besieged by the fact that he was in the presence of a holy God and was just begging for forgiveness while the Pharisees stood in the corner and said, Thank God I'm not like him. <laughs> Instead of being concerned about this guy and the sin in his life, he said, I am holier than him and I am so glad I am. And that, that's what they were about. They're looking as if, if they had it all together before God. <laughs> they were all about their religious organization. No different than us today. What what are we doing to help out the poor? What what are we doing to feed the widows? Because it, it does tell us, Pastor of the Bible, that we should do those things. What are we doing to change the political landscape of our country? What are we doing to put prayer back in school? What what are we doing to change the morals of our country? What what are we doing as a group to go out and impact and and make these Civic changes. We get to look at it at our religious organization, and a lot of times we judge our religious organization by how many numbers we can put on that board that says we have enrollment, attendance, money given, attendance last Sunday, and Bible read. And we look around to see how many empty seats, and we say we got it mostly full. God, we've done good today. How many times have we gone out the door and we've passed a person that said, "You know what? I'm going to do a favor for God today, and I'm going to give this guy ten dollars, or I'm going to buy him lunch because he looks like he's hungry." We're, we're all about that, that religious organization. Yet when we ask for help for the poor or the hungry, we have to step back and decide if the person's even worthy of it. We have a, a need come to our doorstep, and our first thought is not how can we help, it's if we should help. Couldn't they find somewhere else that they could get food this week, Pastor? Or uh, Can't one of their kids give them the money? Gracious, their kids got the money to fix their house. Why are, why are we doing it? Or, you know, Pastor, they're not exactly like us. <laughs> Don't they have their own church? Let that church help them. That, that's how we gauge a lot of, the, of our activity in, in the world around us. <laughs> or maybe when it comes time to change the, the politics by voting for our next leaders, we wind up too busy to get involved but not too busy to complain. See, we'll sit around the restaurant with our buddies and we'll complain about what's going on. We'll, we'll sit around and we'll talk about the ones we like and the ones that we don't like. And we'll talk about what should be done. But Lord have mercy, don't ask me to do anything. I've got a plate full. Most of the so-called Christians in our world today, sadly enough, love to complain. But don't even bother to vote. Don't even bother to vote. Do you like the politics of our world today? I hope the answer is probably no. If it's not, we probably should take this message in a totally different direction. But if you don't like what's going on in the world today, guess what? You live in a country that you have the power to change that. You have a power to change that by exercising your vote in the ballot box when it comes time to vote. Sitting at the table complaining about the person that's in office will change nothing unless you vote. Unless you're a part, unless you're active in that. How do I know that the Christians exercising their voting rights could change things? Look at the number of people in America today that claim to be Christian. Claim to be Christian. <laughs> Oddly enough, it's still a majority. <laughs> Last time I checked. Now, going back to what I already said about repentance and it's showing up in their life, we might argue the point. 
But it, it says that the majority say they are Christians. If they are truly Christians, if they stand on every word of God, saying that it's one man for one woman for life, that every life, even in the womb, is a living human being, not deserving of death at the hands of a man, if they believe the things of the Bible, the moral things of the Bible, God's rules and regulations in the Bible, the fact that God loves us so much He sent His only begotten Son, if they are truly Christians, if they believe those things and they stand on the Word of God, would our political landscape be in a different shape today if they voted those convictions? You see, we want to complain about what's going on around us, Yet when it comes time to stand up for the one who died on a cross for us, we turn our backs and walk away. Or maybe we as Christians, we, we're upset that our religious rights are being taken away. Maybe we complain about the fact that it seems like every day there's another snippet of what it means to be a Christian or be a part of a church gets, gets taken away. I mean, good gracious. They, they took the Ten Commandments out of the judiciary buildings when our law system is based on them? Yeah, that's something to be mad about. They, they took prayer out of our schools. And look what happened. Who doesn't believe that there should be a right to have prayer in school? We have a right to, to say pledge allegiance to the flag. We have a right for a lot of things. Why wouldn't there be a right to say a prayer at a football game? Or say, or say prayer in, a, in, in even a, a teacher's meeting. Or say prayer in a classroom. We, we all think that there should be prayer in school. And, and we all get upset about the fact that there's not. Yet, the majority of Christian homes have no time of family prayer each day. Tell me again about your convictions. T tell me again that we should have prayer in school. No, it's just starting your house. It's just starting your house. There should be an altar in your house that your children are used to going to daily and praying to an almighty God. If that altar is in that house and you are sharing over the word of God in prayer with your family every day, the prayer in school will change when that generation grows up. You see, we need to understand that most times the only time we have prayer together as a family is over the beginning of a meal. And 99% of the time it's done for the wrong reason. That is not having daily prayer. Before you get upset about it not being in your schools, be more upset it's not in your house. Then there's the topic of the morals in our country. We think about the morals in our country. I don't think there's any person that believes in the Bible that agrees with how the morals have headed in our country. Not at all. Every day there's another attack on the moral fiber of this nation. And we get upset that abortion has been legalized. We get mad that same-sex marriage is allowed. We're fuming that the criminals sometimes seem to have more rights in the country than, than we do. I mean, right now they're trying to pass a law in some state somewhere that they're going to pass out ballots in prison. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but I thought whenever I was in civics, part of the offense of, of, of uh, committing a crime against a, a nation was the fact that those rights to participate in the foundation of the nation were removed. But still, yeah, we're, we're, we're passing out rights to, to those that are coming into our country illegally. 
when they've never even participated or been a part of, of our program. And, and we're mad about that. We're, we're mad about those moral things in our, in our nation. We're mad about the direction that our nation's taken. And we as Christians don't understand. Yet when I read the Bible, it says this. God says, be holy for I am holy. Before you get mad about what's happening in the country, gets mad about what's happening in your heart. Because what it says is we should be holy because he is holy. We're mad about what's happening in the country, but we're fine with ignoring the fact that God's called us to be holy. We look at it as a suggestion. And it's not. It's not. He says, because I am holy, those who call themselves Christians, little Christ, should, should also be holy. There's never been a time There's never been a time in the history of the church that the church has looked more like the world than today. Never. It's time the people hear the message that Peter is preaching. This message that he is proclaiming to the Jews that stand before him when he said, repent and be converted. It's time the gospel message so captivates your heart and mine that you're converted into a new creation. As I was reading and thinking about what it means to repent, what it means to, to be converted, to be being converted, I think about what was written in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.17. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, as, as Paul is writing to the church, he says, therefore, in verse 17 of chapter 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have been passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What is the therefore, therefore? I've always told you when you see the word therefore, you ask yourself, why is it there? He says, based on those things that I have said, based on those things that you understand, therefore understand this. So what is the therefore? Based on on what you know about God, just as Peter, when he spoke to those Jews that were standing before him, as he preached to them, and he says, this is the God. This is the God that sent Jesus. And he went all the way back to the prophets when he mentioned the messianic names of Jesus. He says, this is coming from, from God. They recognized that God had worked because a man had been healed. A man that they knew was lame. They knew in their mind and their heart that only God had the power to heal. And he says, therefore, therefore, whenever Paul writes to the church, therefore, understanding who God is. Well, well, who is God? Who is God for us? Whenever I think about God, when I think about what God has done for me, my favorite verse is one we always learn from a little bitty child in Bible school. It's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should never perish, but have everlasting life. God is a God that loves us. God is a God that looked down for the borders of eternity, and there we stood in our sin, and he said, I love you. He said, I love you. Not as the nation of Israel, like I was talking about Vernon, but not, not that he loves the nation of America. That's not his purpose. He looked down from heaven and said, I love you. And I love you. And I love you. He doesn't say, I just love Israel. He doesn't say, I just love Morris Creek Baptist Church. He doesn't say, I, I, I just love the pastor. No, he looked down from the portals of heaven and said, I love you. He called you by name. He said, I love you. So what do you know about this God? You know that he is a God that loves you. 
He is a God that loves you. But the therefore is also there because you need to understand, as, as Peter had said in that portico, that, that sin is something that is egregious against God. It is something that God cannot be in the presence of. It is something that breaks a relationship with God. Based on what you believe about your sin against a holy God, you should understand what it means to be a new creation. What is it? What is it about sin? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Just as God loves all, all of us have sinned before an almighty God. All of us have sinned. So based on what we know about God, based on what we know about sin, the fact that we all are participants in that sin, but also based on what we know that sin does to us. Do you realize death didn't enter this world until sin entered this world? Both physical death. And spiritual death. There will come a day that we will all die. Physically. We will all leave this earth unless Jesus returns before that time. I have many more of these mouth surgeries. I believe mine's going to be closer than it was the day it started. But you know, we're all going to leave this earth one day. This body is going to stop operating. It seems like every day I find a new part of my body I didn't know existed. How do I know that? Because it starts hurting. It's like the body is, is decaying. Death is coming. But you know what Romans 6.23 tells us this. The wages of our sin against a holy God that loves us with His only begotten Son, the wages of that sin in our life is death. Not only in a physical body, but for all of eternity, spiritually. Separated from a God that loved you so much He sent His only begotten Son to die upon a cross for your sins. But you also have to know that you're a new creation and see yourself as a new creation based on the graciousness of God. Because not only does Romans 6.23 say the wages of sin is death, but it goes on to say, but the gift of God, that gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God loves us. He loves us even though we all have sinned. That sin in our life is leading us to the point of eternal death and separation from God, but He sent this gracious gift of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. You see, we need to understand that we're a new creation based on our faith in what God has done. Never forget what God has done. Romans 10, 9 and 10. It will be a great scripture for you to memorize and put into your heart and your mind, for it says, or actually Romans 5, 8. Romans 5, 8. If you were to say, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we need to understand that God demonstrated his love towards us. We didn't make God. We didn't ask God to demonstrate his love. He demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still in sin and loving it, Christ crawled upon a cross and died for that sin. If you think you have to work your way to Jesus Christ, that verse shoots holes in your theory. Because it says, before you ever did anything that made you lovable, Christ crawled upon a cross and died for you. You see, this God of love that looked down from all of eternity and called out your name, saw you in your sin and knew that that sin was leading to a place of eternal death. And he gave you this gracious gift of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to demonstrate his love towards you while you were still a sinner. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Therefore, therefore, it's the belief in your heart and the confession of your mouth showing repentance. And are you being converted 
That's really the question Peter laid before those in the portico. Is, is the belief in their heart and the confession from their mouth showing repentance and that there is conversion happening? That's where Romans 9 or 10, 9 and 10 come in. It says, if we confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, it's not enough to know that God loves you. It's not enough to even recognize that you're a sinner. It's not even enough to recognize that sin is leading you to a place called hell and eternal separation from God for all of eternity. It's not even enough to realize. It's not even enough to realize that God loved you so much that while you were yet a sinner, He sent His only begotten Son as a gracious gift to you. You, you must believe in your heart. You must believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you might have eternal life, and you must confess with your mouth that he is Lord of your life. Is the confession of your life that Jesus is Lord? Does, does he sit on the throne, or do you still sit on the throne? Does he only take the throne when things go south and you need a little help, or is he there all the time? It's the belief in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Do you believe today that Jesus Christ is alive? Again, you make a confession that you know he's alive because it's alive within your heart. You see, if you could say that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you could, you could confess the fact that Jesus is Lord, you believe that, that God raised him from the dead and he is Lord of your life, that, that you are to be a new creation. The old things are to pass away. There's no more desire for what was. You won't have the excuse, that's just the way I am. No, that's just the way you were. If it's still the way you am, you ain't converted. You see, it says that you're a new creation. What you are today should be new. It should be new. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 5.20 as I come to a close. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the seatful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You hear what Paul's saying? Paul's saying as he writes to that Ephesian church, he's saying put away those things of the old man because you're a new man. Your new man has been made in righteousness and holiness. Conversion leads to this righteousness and holiness. Paul goes on in the following chapters to tell us what it means to put on a new man. He says stuff like, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. How do you grieve the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is grieved when we refuse to change. Let's just face it. The Holy Spirit is here to lead and guide us and change us. And when we refuse to change, we grieve the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. He goes on also to say that we should walk in love. Walk in love. We need to see people for what they are. A soul in need of a Savior. No matter what color the body is that they're in. No matter what the economic status. No matter their choices sexually. No matter the things that have happened in their life, we need to realize if we're walking in love, that person is a soul headed to a place called hell if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We need to walk in love. We also need to walk in light. We need to let our yes be yes, our no be no. We need to walk in the light of Jesus Christ that has brought salvation into our heart. We need to stand on the truth. 
We need to walk in wisdom, he says. Walk in wisdom. Where is wisdom gained? The Bible. All the schooling and all the universities of all the world will never come close to matching the wisdom that comes from the Bible. We need to stand on that wisdom. We need to be a people of the Bible. Stand for what God stands for. Oppose what God opposes. And when God is silent on an issue, we need to be silent on the issue. Not only is it that people or time that people hear and believe the gospel, it is time that God's people live out that gospel message. Not only do those who don't believe need to hear the gospel, it's time that those of us who know the gospel live that gospel message out. For far too long, it's been easy for people to say that God has nothing for them because they can't see what God has done in the lives of those who call themselves Christians. They look and say, if that's all God's got, I'll keep what I've got. It's time we live it out. And it's past time for that change. And that change starts where? In us. In God's house. Inside of us. Church, it's time. It's time we quit playing church in the name of God. It's time we stop being a social club for self-righteous members. It's time we humble ourselves before a holy God. It's time we pray steadfastly and continually to God our Father. It's time we seek the face of God in all things. Why do I say that? Because Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven. I'll forgive them their sins and I'll heal their land. You see, we want change. We want things to be different. It, it starts with God's people. See, it's time that we turn from our wicked, biased, religious ways and turn to God's ways. It's time. It's time. It's time that God hears our pleas for forgiveness of our sin. And it's time that that forgiveness comes. And it's time that our land is healed. Let me ask you this. Are you being converted today? Maybe for the first time you've understood the gospel of Jesus Christ in a very unique and different way. Maybe this morning you say, you know, I really didn't look at sin that serious. I really didn't think about the fact that Jesus is the only way, as he said. Maybe this morning you don't know that you've ever repented of your sin. See, it starts there. He says, repent. Come, come before an almighty God and confess to him, not filling him in on that which you've done, but letting him know you recognize what you have done. Then place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Place your faith in him. Come in repentance and faith because that leads to the circle of conversion. Conversion can start for you today. First step, first step is recognizing you're a sinner. Jesus is a Savior and repentant of that sin in your life. Maybe today you are converted. Maybe today you've placed your faith fully in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've repented of your sins. Maybe you realize that conversion is working out in your life even today. Does your life show that conversion? Does your life show that conversion as a new creation in the world that you live in? 
Are you still walking around the, most of the time with an outward appearance that looks a lot like the world and not a lot like Christ? God says today, pray. Pray to me. Ask for forgiveness. I'm not only able to forgive, I am willing to forgive. He tells us in 1 John 1, 9, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to go on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Would you ask for that forgiveness today? Would you seek his face and conversion today? Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.